Welcome everybody to Common Sense Christianity. We have a fantastic episode today. If you're new here, I'm Ethan Foster, the host of this show. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and tell us what you think. You can email me at commonsensechristianitypodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, advice, whatever. Uh, it would be great for to hear from you, brothers and sisters. Before we begin today, I would like to mention that today... Today's episode is going to be, I think, a really good and helpful episode for a number of reasons. First, uh, someone pointed out a mistake that I made, which we will get to in a couple minutes. Uh, I would also like to point out that um, we are talking about uh, the existence of God, why, we, how we know God exists, and, and uh, just that whole general thing. I... First, want to read some scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm starting at verse 54, and we're going all the way down to the end of the chapter. But when this corruptible shall be put in, on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immorality, immortality, I should say, then will take place the word that has been written. Death was swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that may my beloved uh, brothers, you be firm, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord always, knowing that your labor is not without fruit in the Lord. And that is 1 Corinthians 54 through 58. 1554 through 58. Beautiful section of scripture. Paul is my favorite um, New Testament writer just because of the way he puts things and explains things. And I believe he he explains almost every single core doctrine that the Christian faith holds in a beautiful and, and amazing way. I would say this uh, to the emailer that... Um, that emails me all the time. First, uh, thank you for your thoughts. He emails me all the time. I think our email chain is gone. Uh, I, I don't even know. Probably 50 emails so far, uh, back and forth. And I, I consider him a brother in the faith, uh, a very inquisitive young man. Apparently, he's around my age and wrote our first podcast review. And I've responded to his emails a couple times. So last, so I believe it was two weeks ago, when I was releasing our first episode uh, in season five, or, or it may have been our second episode, our first episode dealing with the existence of God in this season. And someone had emailed me in preparation for that episode, uh, this guy from the Emancipated Ministry, I forgot his name, and he left some very good thoughts. So we based the entire episode off of that one email. And all I said, based on that one email, unwisely, and I will get to why it was unwise in a sec, I said, go check this guy out, just because of the email and the thoughts that I saw in the email. Uh, the bad part on my side is that I didn't go in and actually listen to the podcast episodes. I, I looked at the titles of them. They looked normal. Uh, and this was a mistake. I did not listen to the contents because I didn't think it would be necessary. And you guys know me, I'm open to many different forms of views within the faith. Uh, but this doesn't mean uh, that this doesn't mean that everything is acceptable. I would say that. 
So my friend here, he does an impeccable amount of research. It's really impressive. And he's a very smart guy. He's going to start his own podcast soon. And we'll certainly recommend it once it comes out. He'll let me know because he has a great mind, a blessed mind. And I, I, his mind is far past mine uh, with his level of research. And he said, hey, Mr. Foster, I checked out the Emancipated Ministry and I thought I should say that I'm not sure why you did. Why did you recommend it? I listened to every episode and I was surprised to hear him saying that that we should support LGBTQ groups and BLM. He also quoted Marx called Genesis a myth and then instigated uh, the text several times by bad translation. All right. So I, I listened to this and I was concerned and I was disappointed in myself in this. So I listened to two episodes today, just two out of, uh, I believe, six, something like that uh, on this guy's podcast. And I listened to it and he has a spiritual background music on one of them. He, he's talking in a very moderate, moderate and inspirational tone. And and it, it sounds good. And he starts reading scripture. He starts his whole podcast um, section, his whole description is something that I would say. It, I, I totally agreed with it. But then he gets into the context of what he's actually meaning by these things. You guys know I'm a Christian anarchist. I'm not a secular anarchist. Politically, I'm, I'm, I'm totally different from anarchism. But within the faith, I am an anarchist or Christian subjectivist, I would rather say. So I would agree with them. The issue what my uh, friend here, I guess, at the Emancipation Ministry does is he purposely conflates what Jesus Christ said as a person that has come into, as God incarnate, coming into the world and speaking against the kingdom of this world and us being a part of his kingdom. He uses that and says, well, well we need socialism. We, we, we need this hyper-liberal world. Then that's essentially what he says. So he goes down this line of saying totally correct stuff about how we need to treat others with dignity. We need to help others. All of, Every Christian on earth would agree with that. And then turns it into some political nonsense. And says that God is telling us to support socialism and LGBT groups and Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization for crying out loud. You could quote me on that. The movement I'm totally in support for, not as a Christian, but as a person. But the, the, the organization itself, I consider it a terrorist organization. I do. When you go down burning and looting uh, businesses, and then your founder, your leader is a Marxist, again, separate from Christianity, this is my secular mind speaking, my, my human mind speaking, I would rather say, saying, well, we need to redistribute wealth and everything. But then you buy a home for $3 million. And you're telling me I got to support that as a Christian? That doesn't make any sense. He goes on down in another episode to something that can be understood properly, saying that patriotism is a, a sin. Now, it depends on what, what the level you take patriotism as. Uh, patriotism in its radical form, of course, because we are only patriotic to, to the kingdom of God. 
that's it. But being happy to be in a country and supporting the ideals of that country, that that's the basic form of patriotism. It's what I adhere to, and I don't think it's a sin. Let me hear the uh, let me read the review that uh, my emailer uh, wrote on his podcast. This person twists the text. Absolutely true. He does twist the text. I listen to it. Gives false teachings. I mean, I, I call them disagreeable teachings. I disagree with them, but I just don't call te teachings false. I would, I invite you, my brother in the Emancipated Ministry, to come on this show, and we will have a discussion, debate, whatever, on these texts. Supports LGBTQ and BLM and quotes Marx. Okay. Uh, quoting Marx, if it's for the right purpose, it is not necessarily a bad thing. I will say that. Uh but I don't know the context because I didn't listen to all the episodes. And he supports LGBTQ. It is all right to love someone. I love people that are in that community. But I refuse to pretend that scripture does not call that type of behavior detestable. I will not change the scripture. Give me the scripture that says we got to support this. This is the exact issue that we have today. We're wishy-washy. We, we claim Christ when it's convenient. And BLM. Again, the essence of Black Lives Matter, that everyone should have equal rights. Sure, that is a Christian value. But Black Lives Matter, the organization, is absolutely detestable. Hates on law and order. That's anarchism. That's secular anarchism, not what I promote. Says patriotism is bad. Again, miscontext, which is a lie. Patriotism is great so long as it's not more important than the charity and love. Again, that's true. Constant, uh, it is, is, I can't even pronounce that word. I, I'm, I apologize to Owen. Uh, he had false teachings. I thought I would enjoy this show, he says, and it was probably because of me, maybe. Uh, but soon saw that he's not a true pastor, but a false teacher and an apostle. Uh, I leave those terms up to God and God alone. Um, I would say this, brother, in the Emancipated Ministry, you listen to this podcast, so I'm assuming I'm talking to you. Uh, I would say this. Pray, read the scriptures, and find the truth in that. And look, I'm fine with questioning all things. I'm fine with with looking deeper into things and having different points of view than mainstream Christianity, I hold different points of view. But do not, under any circumstances, twist what the scriptures mean for your own political purposes, which is what I have heard from you. If I'm wrong, shoot me an email, come on the show. You're welcome to come anytime. Uh, going into our topic for today, uh, we're talking, uh, continuing down the complexity route, intelligent design, Proving the existence of God. And, and that review of the podcast took way longer than I expected. But we're going to continue down this road anyways. So we're going to go down point four. The origin of irreducibly complex molecular machines. So if you know anything for biology class or many type of science or life science class you took in middle school, high school, etc. You would know that these, these basic cell systems are irrefutably complex and they cannot be reduced at the simplest life level they're the same amount of complexity that they are at the most complex life level 
level. So molecular machines are another compelling line of evidence for intelligent design, as there is no known cause other than intelligent design that can produce machine-like structures within multiple interacting parts. So I would stop the article right here and say we have to be careful with our wording here because it can easily turn into the god of the gaps theory. So continuing on, in a well-known 1998 article in the journal Cell, former president of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, Bruce Alberts, uh, uh, explained that astounding nature of molecular machines. The entire cell can be viewed as a factory that contains an elaborate network of interlocking assembly lines, each of which is composed of a large set of large protein machines. Why do we call the large protein assemblies that underline cell function protein machines? Precisely because... Like machines invented by humans to deal efficiently with the uh, microscopic world, uh, macroscopic world. That is, it says macroscopic. My bad, y'all. Uh, <laughs> these uh, protein assemblies contain highly coordinated moving parts. So if you know anything about a cell, you know that all these parts move. And it's going to sound really dumb when I explain it because uh, biology was difficult for him. But uh, all these different parts move. I mean, you have the mitochondria, the, the powerhouse of the cell. You have the nucleus, which is the brain of the cell. You have all these other uh, parts of the cell organelles making the cell. And at these um, molecular parts, there is, in each part of it, processes that cause it, the cell to work, or the organelles, or anything lower than that, that causes it to work and causes a chain reaction. If the cell doesn't work, then, then the tissues don't work, the organs don't work, and the organism doesn't work, right? Uh, so going down another quote describing the ribosome. The ribosome is a multi-part machine responsible for translating the genetic instructions during the assembly of proteins. According to Craig Venter, a widely respected biologist, ribosome is an incredibly be beautiful, complex entity which requires a minimum of 53 proteins. Bacterial cells may contain up to 100,000 ribosomes, and human cells may contain millions. Biologist Anna uh, Yonev won the Nobel Prize for her work on ribosomes, observes that they are in ingeniously designed for their functions. Uh, ATP synthesis, ATP, uh, which I will not read that word because I'm going to sound stupid if I try and read it, is the primary energy carrying molecule in all cells. In many organisms, it is generated by a protein-based molecular machine called ATP synthesis. This machine is composed of two spinning rot uh, rotary uh, motors connected by an axle. As it rotates, bumps on the axle push open other protein subunits providing the mechanical energy needed to generate ATP. In the words of cell biologist David Goodsell, ATP synthesis is one of the wonders of the molecular world. And this is one of the many, many synthesis, or whatever the plural form of synthesis is, going on in the cell. Once again, just go to a basic biology class. It's really hard to figure out. And you want to sit here and BS to me that, oh, just one random pool 3.5 billion years ago. Like, man, look at that. The proteins that need DNA to form and the DNA that needs proteins to be around, it just, it just appeared. Does that make any sense to any of you? Does that make any logical sense? That is all I am asking you. 
It continues on. Become molecular machines evolved by Darwinian mechanisms. I think yes, uh, because God guided it. But without God, you you take it out of the equation. Darwin says it himself in in the Origin of Species that if if, the, if these body uh, mechanisms are proven to be complex, my theory falls apart. Now I disagree with Darwin there. If they're complex and there's a, a complex intelligence guiding that, it totally works. Uh, discovering intelligent design explains why this is improbable due to the irreducibly complex nature of many molecular machines. Look, evolution can certainly happen once you have the cell in existence, but evolution does not explain in any sort of way the creation of the cell. And it cannot because evolution deals with the living organism itself and the natural selection of living organisms. You don't do natural selection with some protein chilling out in, in an old pool. Then that's not how evolution works. It's competition between the various life forms. That's how we evolve. Unfortunately, the atheists themselves don't understand how evolution works. They're like, ah, evolution explains life away, as the, the illustrious Richard Dawkins would say. Evolution gives us reason to be atheists. How? How does it do that? Has my understanding of evolution been wrong the whole time? Darwin's theory of natural selection where different animals, they compete for survival, and the one that has the strongest gene survives, that's natural selection, and that causes the evolution. You can't do that when there's no life. Rocks don't compete with each other. Non-biological uh, entities don't compete with each other. But, but maybe I'm done. Continuing on. Quote, many cell features such as molecular machines require multiple interactive parts to function. Uh, Behe has further studied the ability of Darwinism to explain these multi-part structures. In his book, Darwin's Black Box, Behe coined the term irreducible complexity to describe a system that fails Darwin's test of evolution. Quote, what type of biological system cannot be formed by numerous successive slight modifications? Well, for starters, a system that is irreducibly complex. By irreducibly complex, I mean a single system which is composed of several interacting parts that contribute to the basic function and where the removal of any one of these parts causes the system to, effect, uh, to effectively cease functioning. So again, I, I disagree with evolution does not work. I think it works, but evolution does not talk about the origin of life itself. It talks about the origin of the of different species of life, of the first species, sure, but the first cell has, has nothing to do with it because the cell has to be there in order for evolution to work. Uh, we're going to scroll down. The, the, I think that proved my point. And it's going to go to the origin animals, point five. And this is where me and the article will start disagreeing more probably. But it, it'll still help us to make this general point. In his book, Darwin's Doubt, Stephen Mayer considers the na nature of animals and what is required to build an animal. He finds that only intelligent design can explain the abrupt origin of life in the fossil record, as well as the new information required to build the integrated nature of parts and systems that compromise 
animal body parts. Here's how Mayer makes that case that intelligent design is the best explanation for aspects of the origin of animals as witnessed in the Cambrian explosion. Intelligent agents can generate new form rapidly as we see an abrupt appearance of animals in the Cambrian fossil record. Quote, intelligent agents have foresight. Such agents can determine or select functional goals before they are physically instated. They could devise or select material means to accomplish those ends from among an array of possibilities. They can then uh, actualize the, those goals in accord with preconceived design plan or set or set of functional requirements. Rational agents can constrain uh, Comrie com National space with distant information rich outcomes in mind. Uh, Darwin's Doubt, page 362 to 363. Uh, so let's talk about the origin of life itself, or, or, just, uh, or just animals, since this is the section of this article. I would say this. Uh, whenever I look at what, what used to be a frequently discussed topic on this show, and I made this point before, uh, killer whales, we'll just take that. You look at them. They're just as you do any other animal. If you just look at them, you can notice a variety of things. Back in October uh, of 2020 for my birthday, we went down to San Antonio, Texas. And there went to SeaWorld and took the Orca tour. And I got to meet several of the trainers and I got to meet the Orcas down there. And I got right up next to him. His name is Cayuquet. And Cayuquet is the son of the infamous Tilikum who killed Don Branchon in... 2011. This is just irrelevant to the story, but I'm giving you context about the animal. And me knowing myself, I was just talking trash, having a good time, making some jokes. But you can look into the eyes of that animal. And it, it's a weird thing that I cannot describe to you, ladies and gentlemen, that it's something that you can only know when you have seen an intelligent animal, one of the likes of some sort of dolphin or some, some other mammalian species. But you look into the eyes of that animal, and you you see that it is not only aware, but the intelligence that it holds is greater than we can comprehend compared to other animal species. And then it just, that's just from looking at it and how it memorized uh, the movements of the trainers to know what they're talking about how they interact with each other. We'll take that. They're social pods out in the wild where the son stays with the mom for his entire life or where the oldest mom is a matriarch and guides the pod and keeps everything under control. See, we, we look at these things and we don't we don't see anything special about it. Just like, oh, that's cool that that animal does that. But little do we realize that these processes, these behaviors, had to start from somewhere. I mean, they had to. If they evolved from wolves, started from a wolf pack. Well, the, what caused the wolf pack? Go back further. It's a continuously ending line of explanations that are needed. So you go back to the first cell, the common ancestor, and you look in that cell, and you're like, well, how the hell was this made? 
did the proteins just come together? Or was there an almighty God behind it? An intelligent designer? You look at the DNA. Just look at DNA. Take it as a code. Because that's what it is. More complex than any computer program we have devised. And you want to BS to me that that thing just twirled itself together? I think it is the atheists that take the greatest leap of faith out of anybody because of that. To the point of the origin of animals, the complexity of their nature. Yes, it can be explained by Darwinian natural selection, but it still goes to the same underlying problem that there is not a single reasonable explanation for the origin of life, and there probably won't be a reasonable explanation that will exclude God. Continuing on to the final point of this article that we will deal with today, origin of humans. It's going to go down the exact same route. There are many aspects of humanity that point to intelligent design as discussed in the book Science and Human Origins. The human body plan appears abruptly in the fossil record, changing, challenging an evolutionary explanation. Hom hominid fossils generally fall into one or two groups, ape-like species and human-like species with large unbridged gap between them. Despite the hype promoted by many evolutionary pa pale paleoanthropologists, the fragmented hominid fossil does not uh, record does not document the evolution of humans from ape-like uh, precursors. Uh, I would say this to that, that our genetics help uh, prove the evolution of it. But uh, I, I would see the general point of this, but we also must know that it's very hard to, for any fossil to form. So there's just gaps based on the fact that 99% of life just simply did not fossilize. And if you hear barking in the background, it is once again my dog. I don't know what he's barking about, uh, nor do I care at this point. But let's just take the human race, for example. 75 to 78,000 years ago, Christopher Hitchens often makes this point uh, when he was alive. He said around this time, if I remember the, the dates correctly, our species dwindled down to around two or 3,000 people. And he says that heaven watched and there was, they just said, not yet. I'm not going to save humanity yet. But I would take the contrary. God in his almighty wisdom saw two to 3,000 people, homo sapiens sapiens, left the plains of Africa. And I think God knew exactly what he was doing. Because after that, when the human species formed and uh, they recovered and they grew, where did they go? They left Africa, didn't they? Then went to Asia, crossed over their ice bridge, went over to North America, and they started building something called, oh, what's it called? Civilizations. And in civilizations, there's something called development. And we became civilized. And we started learning how to use more complex languages. We started 
writing down stuff and making laws and all this amazing stuff. Do you not see a plane in that? Or do you just see randomness? I see a plan in it. I see a plan through every which way I look at evolutionary history. I see God written all over it. That is why I always say to young earthers, look, evolution glorifies God. I believe that fully. Because when I look at everything in the fossil record, I see God's hand working in everything. 65 million years ago, dinosaurs were wiped out. Guess what survived? The mammals. Now look, they've been evolving as small creatures up until that point, all the way back from the late Triassic period. At that point, they finally had the opportunity to become the dominant species on Earth. Now, without that happening, we wouldn't be here. There is hundreds of examples out there just from basic science, basic known science that we can get for it. And yet and still, the atheist tells me that evolution disproves God. Well, that is bullshit to me. Evolution proves God. Science proves God. Based on the natural order of everything. And the fact that there is order proves that there is someone to organize everything. And turn it into order. Ladies and gentlemen, God has never been so real to me than when I dive in and look at what the atheist claims to be the death of God. But really, it gives new life to our knowledge of our creator. We will see you here next time. This is Common Sense Christianity.